Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. Today's episode was pre-recorded during the 2018 School Leadership Conference. We had the chance to connect with one of our keynote speakers who offered up some fantastic insights on how to empower educators and subsequently students. Within the parameters of standardized testing and defined educational requirements, how does an educator remain engaged and inspired so they can in turn engage and inspire their students? This is what we'll hear about. Dr. Robin Jackson is the founder of a company called Mindsteps, Inc., and also a best-selling author of 10 books. Mindsteps offers professional development consulting, workshops, and online resources to empower education leaders. Welcome, Dr. Jackson. Thank you for joining us today. I'm really honored to be here. So I'm going to jump right in. There's a word that jumped out at me from the descriptions of your program and what you offer educators, and that was empowerment. So. Can you talk about how important is it for educators to feel empowered? So education itself is empowering, right? But the whole reason we come into education is because we want to empower students. We want to empower students to become thinkers. We want to empower students to become good learners. Absolutely. Uh, we want to empower students to be able to take over the world one day and change it and make it a better place. And yet the way that we deliver education is often quite disempowering. We tell students right. where to go, we tell students what to do, we tell students what to learn, how to think. And I think a part of the reason that that's happening is that we've lost track of the vision and mission of what education is supposed to be, and we've also disempowered teachers. It's hard to empower other people when you feel very disempowered yourself. And so sure. over time, we filed down the rigor, we filed down the independent thinking that, that really was a hallmark of education. And we tried to standardize everything to the point where we disempowered not only teachers, but as a result, we've disempowered kids. And I want to change that because I think that, there, that education is the last hope we have to create equality. There are people who are born in different places, but with the education, they're empowered to go out and to change their life circumstances. And so if we don't use education for that, then we're, we're cheating a lot of people of the only opportunity they're going to have to change their circumstances, which means that we have to be empowered as educators. We have to be empowered to make good decisions for the kids in front of us. Right. We have to be empowered to, to look at a curriculum that may not be serving our kids and make adjustments that serve our kids better. We have to be empowered to make better decisions in the classroom. If we don't, we're cheating our kids and we're, we're perpetuating that disempowerment that I think a lot of our kids feel like. Okay. And that makes kids feel like school is not relevant. Sure, so you kind of touched on something that I am curious about. How does that empowerment fit into standardized testing, mm -hmm. defined curricula, and sort of the parameters that teachers must work within to prepare children towards their ultimate goal of graduation readiness. How does empowerment factor into that or fit into that? So I'm probably going to say something that may be, I don't know if it's controversial, but it certainly isn't. Um, I, I'll just say it. We, I think that we are overemphasizing standardized testing. Okay. Um, I think that we started out with good intentions, but now the test has become the, the end goal rather than a, a, a student who who 
can meet standards and exceed standards and can think for themselves and make decisions for themselves. And so I think that what's happened because we've overemphasized testing is that a lot of educators feel disempowered to do what they really believe is important and right for kids right. because they have to meet these benchmarks and because they have to hit these standards. And so we've kind of we've kind of deified the mm -hmm. test mm -hmm. rather than understanding that the test was just a tool to tell us how well we're doing meeting the standards. So I think that part of the empowerment is is it's resting control away from the test and putting it back in the hands of the kids who the tests were designed to support anyway. And in order to do that, you look at those tests and those standards as guidelines, and there are ways that you can see them as guidelines that actually empower you to do more rigorous thinking. So we have a, a, a process that we use right now to help teachers develop rigorous lesson plans. Okay. And it starts with the standards, because the standards are there, they're important, we have to recognize that. But rather than being constrained by the standard and trying to say, okay, did I cover this, 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 and, and writing lesson plans where you have a stand, I, you know, this lesson plan covers standard 3.2.7, Instead, what we do is we say, look at the standard. What's the thinking that's demanded by the standard? And you start planning for that kind of thinking. And then you're not more bound to the standard and every, you know, underlining each word in the standard and dotting every I and crossing every T. Instead, you're saying the standard is telling me how we want to help students develop their thinking. And so then the teacher is empowered to go from there and to create a lesson plan that's focused on their students and on what their students need, but that ultimately helps their students meet the standard. And then here's the most important part, go beyond the standard, you know, exceed the standard because you're not teaching the standard, you're also teaching the thinking behind the standard. Right, that makes a lot of sense. So you talked a, a little bit earlier about the word equity. And so the question I'm gonna ask, obviously equitable education is going to look different per school district and per student and per region, right, of the state. But if you had to identify one or two things that you feel are missing or potentially missing from the student classroom experience, what do you, in your experience, what do you see that to be? A couple of examples. So I find that there are some schools that teach kids how to think for themselves. And those tend to be your wealthier districts. Those tend to be your more resource-rich district. Okay. I think that in a lot of districts where you are dealing and struggling with poverty, or a lot of districts where you're dealing with a lack of resources, right. what happens is those are the kids who probably need to be able to think for themselves the most and to problem solve Absolutely. the most. And yet, what we find in those districts, because those students are often struggling or because those students are often coming behind or below grade level, that we become more regimented. We, we erase the thinking, chasing those test score games and chasing those wow. goals. So I think that the biggest inequities I see are inequities in terms of how empowered kids are and how kids are being taught to think for themselves. That the more the, the, the more disequitable, is that such a word? I don't know if I just, I just made it up. But the more inequitable, sure. maybe that's the one, the more, the, the more that the, the, the students are struggling and grappling with these very real problems of poverty or um, 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 underrepresentation or, right. all, or under, kids who are underserved, the more kids are underserved, the more we regiment the program 
and I go into a lot of these schools and it's almost like, you know, the kids, they're, they're, they're being taught to do things that are erasing thinking for themselves because we don't have time to think, we've got to chase these test score gains. Sorry. Where in other places where resources are rich, they're being taught to think for themselves all the time. They're being, the instructional program is designed around developing independent thought, which means that those kids are getting an education that prepares them for leadership and kids in other places are getting an education that prepares them for compliance. So it's the opposite of really what should be happening, especially in those instances where it might be an under-resourced school or district. Yes, exactly. Under-supported. The, the, rather than teaching kids to be problem solvers, rather than going to kids and saying, listen, based on the standards, you should be here. In reality, you're here. So now let's come together and let's figure out how we solve that problem. And let's, you're going to have to be, you're going to have to learn how to think differently in order to be able to get there. We don't do that. Instead we say, don't think, just do these exercises, just do this program because we got to get you caught up. And we, we, so the thing that we take out of the program is the very thing the kids need. Like we, oh, we, we okay. erase the thinking because we want them to hurry up and get these standards. When in fact, in, if you're going to catch up, you have to be able to think. Right. You know, I would, so there's, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book a few years ago um, about underdogs. It's about David and Goliath. And he talks about how underdogs often win, and they win because they don't play by the rules. And I think that a lot of cases we see gaps, achievement gaps, resource gaps, because we're teaching every single school to play by the rule, and we call that equity, when in fact, there are kids who are, are, are disadvantaged, and by disadvantage I don't mean just with resources, I mean they're disadvantaged by the rules. The rules hurt those kids, and so we have to teach those kids how to play by a different set of rules. That's what equity is. It's about how, how do I get to those goals and without making everybody use the same pathway to get to the goals, because that pathway doesn't serve every kid. Absolutely, yep. So I think what I hear you saying is that if you have energized, empowered educators and teachers, that that in turn will become empowered, energized students. Do you think it's that, that direct of a translation? I think it is, but I think that we have to talk about what we mean by empowered and energized. Okay. Right? So at MindSteps, we have a saying, we always say, um, um, you know, you, unmotivated people can't motivate anyone. And we also sure. say that rigor requires rigor. So if you have people who are energized and motivated, that can help. And if you have people who are empowered, that can certainly help. But the other piece that I think is missing is that you have to have people who are, are thinking rigorously. And a lot of times what we do is we teacher-proof teaching. Right? We take the thinking oh, out of teaching okay. and we say, don't think, don't bring your brain to the classroom, just do this curriculum. We've thought it all through for you. You just get to page 47 by day 48. And it's so defined And it's already. very defined. Yeah. Rather than empower, so part of what empowering means, it means that you're teaching teachers how to think for themselves. Okay. Because then they can make those adjustments in real time. And they can, okay, Sally needs this, but Susie needs that, and Jamal needs this, and, and Billy needs that. And the teacher is making those adjustments. No curriculum can do that for them. Absolutely. So you, when, by empowered, I don't just mean, yay, you know, I'm going in and I'm going to change lives. Not that. I'm talking about true empowerment, which means that you have to give teachers the power. 
And you have to do that. And you, in order to be able to do that, in order to be able to trust teachers with that power, you mm -hmm. have to help teachers think in a highly rigorous way, which means mm -hmm. that they have to be invited in on conversations about curriculum. You don't just hand a curriculum to a teacher and say, teach this, without talking Pass to them about, to them. Yeah. yeah, like, here's why we're choosing this curriculum, and here are the goals of the curriculum. You have to engage teachers in rigorous conversations about who we are as a school, why we're doing what we're doing, so they get the point. Sure. Then when they go into the classroom and they're making those those minute by minute decisions in the classroom, they're empowered to do it because you've engaged them and involved them in the decision making process rather than making them the recipients of your thinking. They've been involved in the thinking. Great. So they're part of it, part of that evolution. So what does educational success look and act like? Not in theory, but in practice. What does that look like? So I, I was having a conversation with um, someone who's not an educator a few months ago, and he said something, and I've been thinking about it ever since. He said, I believe that every human being should put into the world at least as much as they take out of the world. Okay. And I love that. And, I, I, and I'm not sure quite yet. I'm, I'm still playing around with what that means for education. But I think that success in education looks something like that. That if we're going to have kids go through school, when they leave school, are they able to not just take care of themselves, but are they able to take care of this world? Are they, are they able to solve the challenges that are in front of them? You know, what's weird about education, especially now, is that the people who are teaching kids to take over the world are, are uh, they don't understand the world the kids are taking over. Okay. They can't predict the world the kids are taking over. And yet, so the, so the people who write curriculum, they don't really know what the world's gonna look like, so I teach you something in first grade. By the time you get to 12th grade, the world has changed. So even if what I taught you in first grade was relevant in first grade, by the time you get to 12th grade, it may not be relevant anymore. So part of success for education to me looks like, are we teaching kids how to think? Are we teaching kids how to be problem solvers? Are we teaching kids how to adapt what they're learning for new and novel situations? If we're doing that, then I feel confident that they're ready to take over the world, whatever the world looks like, and they're ready to do that in a reasonable way. So my personal um, core, not my personal core values, but my personal kind of mission is really about giving kids options and helping them make good decisions with the options that they have. So I want to expand the options for kids and I want to help kids and empower kids to make good decisions with those options. If I do that, I feel like I've been successful as an educator. All too often, schools close off options. If I don't get this course by this grade, then I can't get this kind of diploma. Um, if I don't get this test score, then I can't take this course here. So we're closing off options, and then we're not teaching kids to make good decisions because what decisions, what, what, what meaningful decisions are we asking or allowing kids to make on a day-to-day -day basis? Sure. sure. So I feel like we, as an, as, a, as, a, as an educational system, we've got to do a better job of empowering kids to make good choices because we don't know the world they're going to face and making sure they have as many options as possible because we, we don't know um, what kinds of decisions they're going to face in the future. And we want to make sure that they, when they're, or they're, they're, not what kind of decisions they're going to face, what kind of decisions, what kind of... Challenges we, or... Yeah, we don't know. I want to give kids options so that, that nothing is closed off to them. Okay. They have opportunities. And the less options I have, the less opportunities I have, which means that even if I can make good decisions, I don't have the option to be able to make good decisions. Sure. 
Now, we talked, where you talked a little bit about that forward thinking, how can educators prepare for the future, which mm -hmm. is unknown as yet, right? So we now have Gen Z, Generation Z, as they're now being called, um, as the student populace that is uh, the kids that are up to age 18 right now. They are the first native digital generation, so they were, not, they were born into it. They did not know any life other than life within the current technology, which is ever-expanding. They are, we know that they are the instant gratification kids. They are not only technologically savvy, but they live within it. They live, learn, and operate in a way that's hardwired to the innovation that they grew up in. How does this student differ from past generations, even as recently as the millennials? And how, sort of a two-part question, how do educators go about preparing the current students for life right now and then life in the future, just kind of having that foundation of what we know about them. So, and you know, I feel so old <laughs> just listening to the question. I think in the past, learning was very linear. Okay. And so, you know, you followed a progression of learning and that was it. When you read a book, you started at page one, you went to the last page. Yes. I think starting with the millennials, um, the learning became more circular, where the millennials were starting to think, okay, I get to the end, then I circle back to the beginning, and what does it mean to me? And I think with Generation Z, learning has become geometric. Ah, okay. So it's, 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 you may think about how you read now. So if you're reading online and you see something that's interesting, you can click the hyperlink and go to that, and you never have to finish the original article. And That's everybody true. has a choose-your-own-pathway through things. So there's not one way to get to the end result. There's not one end result because it's really about choosing your own pathway. Think about it. Uh, in this generation, you know, I remember listening to the radio, and if there was a song I didn't like, I either had to listen to the song and let it finish or switch to another station. Now I have Pandora, or uh, I, can, I can click the thumbs down, and I don't have to finish the song, and it'll never play that song again. Very or I can true. do Spotify, <laughs> and I can create my own playlist from the very beginning. So uh, Dr. Jackson, the company that you founded is called Mind Steps Inc., and so the Mind Steps approach, what are some of the highlights, successful outcomes that you hope those that uh, participate or those that you help or coach, what are some of the successful outcomes that stem from that? So I started Mind Steps and, and our kind of, the thing that drives us is we build master teachers. And I honestly believe that any teacher can become a master teacher with the right kind of support and practice. So when we started, we were doing a lot of teacher training. And the teachers would get in the training, they get really excited about what they're learning, and then they'd say, but if I teach this way, what if my principal walks in and he doesn't understand what I'm doing? <laughs> so right. then we started doing a lot of principal training to say, if you, if you want to build master teachers, these are the things you need to focus on. And that's kind of where we are right now. And the whole idea is this. When you, are, when you are, are doing the work I'm doing or when you're in any kind of leadership position, the best way to influence kids is through other adults. So as a principal, 
If I want to have impact in a classroom, the, the best way to do that is through the teacher that's in the classroom. If I am a school board member or a superintendent or a district office person, if I want to change outcomes for kids, the best way to do that is through the adults in the classroom. So what we do now is we really focus on building, how do you build that master teacher? What do you need to do in terms of, of creating a culture where mastery thrives, where every teacher is striving towards mastery, and when they get there, they don't sit on rest in their laurels, but they're actually continuing to push their practice forward. And then we also, we also look at how do you lead schools to create that kind of culture in the school where everybody is working towards excellence. Because in the end, if you really, I honestly believe this, if you really want to change outcomes for kids, you have to put a master teacher in that classroom. So that's kind of what we're doing, is we're trying to have a master teacher in every single classroom for every single kid every day. Fantastic. So if school districts are interested in finding out more about your resources, your workshops, where is the best place for them to go for that? So there are two places. I have a podcast called School Leadership Reimagined. Great. And you can go to schoolleadershipreimagined.com and check out that podcast if you are in any kind of leadership position. And then for teachers or people who support and love teachers, mm -hmm. we have mindstepsinc.com. We have a ton of free resources for teachers and we have um, links to teacher training and other things that teachers can download so that they can start on their journey towards mastery. Great. Dr. Jackson, thank you for being here with us today to talk about this, and also thank you for sharing your insights not only with us, but with our audience at the PASA PSBA conference, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. You'll find out more information about what we've covered today with Dr. Jackson on our website at keyedradio.org. This is Annette Gray saying thank you for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.